We're all here today to celebrate. This occasion actually marks the start of a major career milestone. It's a celebration. We're here to celebrate Boto. And Boto is a humanistic value of African society. And Boto is also at the heart of the Boto project space, which brings you this exhibition, which kicks off on Saturday. Boto, Moto, Bato. And it's an exhibition that has been put together by one of our most renowned young artists, visual artists to have come out of this country. And we're also here to celebrate Nelson Magamo. He's well known, of course, best known for his charcoal and oil pieces. Enormous, just the scale of them is also what marks them. But what also makes them distinct is how he portrays the African child. It's hard to believe that it's been 15 years since Nelson has been doing this full time. His ex first exhibition was at the Orbit Gallery and it was called Walk With Me. This was in 2005. And since then, it is safe to say that he's managed to solidify an iconic signature. You see his work, you immediately know that is a Nelson piece. And I think for an artist to be able to say that, not just after 15 years, but in their lifetime, is an incredible privilege. So, we will reflect on some of that career. We will look at the milestones, but also the way forward, because the future that he kicks off today is truly an exciting one. You know, his work has been featured in different places, different cities, locally and internationally. It is in some of the most astute private collections. Um, it also graced the cover of Time magazine. This was as recent as last year. The Art of Optimism issue was an art piece by Nelson Makamo, which is absolutely groundbreaking. Nelson, your work cleanses the doors of perception. Your work changes how we see the world. It also changes how we see ourselves and how we are seen. So I'm honored to be here to be in conversation with you. Um, wow, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I think that's what you said to Trevor too when you were on the Daily Show. I don't know where to start. <laughs> um, what a time to be alive. Yeah. Um, I think by by me accepting who I am, that was the first thing that was truly inspiring for me to to start the journey and to find other people along the way who came in as a supporting factor yeah. for my journey. Um, I mean, I was born in the 80s. Um, South Africa at the time was a completely different country as well. Um, but it didn't mean that um, we... I think after 94, we saw multiple opportunities Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, 94 was young, I was still in primary. Um, at the time, to choose a career, we were quite limited. It was also based on how, it was based on the country, the history of the country, like that as well. Um, but a talent is something that I think a lot of time, you never gamble with it. It's there, but it's not something that you put it in as, security for your career, especially mm -hmm. with fine art. Fine art has always been about our artist. You're going to struggle the rest of your life. 
that was like probably one of the the first thing that you always hear, especially yeah. if someone acknowledged that you're an artist. But I had uh, parents who never installed that in me. My mother never said. Yes, tell us about your mom. Um, I guess she saw that earlier before anybody else could actually saw that I had a talent. But mm. What were you doing? Scribbling everywhere. Okay. I was obsessed with cartoons. Not on her walls, I hope. Uh, <laughs> anything that as you well. can find. Anything you can Anything find. that I can find. Mm. Um, but up until up until this day, she never said, don't sketch. Yeah. It has always been, do your schoolwork first, and then you can. So it was always a hobby more than something that parents can look at and say, this can guarantee you a better future. Yeah. Um, and I also had to understand where she was coming from. So it was never something that I would use it against her. Mm. Um, because I think every parent will always want what is best and what they think or believe is best for their kids. And in my case, that was the case. Yeah. The case where my mother thought more than anything else that um, she supported me for who I am. And I think the next supporting factor was my environment where I grew up. Um, you realize that a lot of time, especially I had experience of both rural, urban, mm. um, and city as well. I think a lot of time we always underestimate that around us there will be people who will encourage us. Um, sometimes it can even start from your circle of friends mm -hmm. and say, you know how to draw. Um, but also I think because of the foundation of art in this continent has always been taboo. There has never been something that we feel that was important to intru introduce that as part of our history. So as a child, you, you're too quick to idolize and to wish to become a Van Gogh or a Picasso because those were the people that they were, first, they were first introduced to us as if you want to be a successful artist, you have to be like Picasso. You, you have, have to, to model like, yourself. You have to model yourself. with. But the moment when you start also looking at the biography of the person that you, you wanted to be, like that person is born in Spain, France. Not anyone within our continent um, that was put on the list as important, especially when it comes to art. So... Um, so it was unknown, stepping into this choice, this compulsion that you have, because it's more than a hobby, right? It's, it's something that you are, do you feel compelled, like there's a demand in you to draw? It's like a natural drive. It's not yeah. even like a demand. I think um, whenever I wanted to spend time alone, I will scratch, I will actually sketch. Mm -hmm. um, for anything that I did, the funny thing is that I've, I'll make time for it. My school books were full of my, my sketches. I used to get into trouble because I think most people will agree, like, especially from 1999 going backwards, during the time of corporal punishment and all of that, there was a system that was used that if, obviously, you're attending an English class, you have to have um, anything English. So the books, the teachers will go through the books and if they find anything that was outside the subject, yeah. you'll get into trouble. Yeah. So I, I was one of those kids that 
every now and then I find myself into trouble because I've scribbled or I've sketched in a math book, in a history book and all of that as well. Mm. But even that um, is not something that you sort of link it to your education. It's something that is far out of your education. Mm. And I think that's also another thing where you, you realize that um, and especially that I started picking up when I started traveling. We, we have a unique culture where it doesn't matter whether it's a village, whether it's a township, kids are born together. Like they will play together. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where within that, you'll pick up that there's someone who's good at soccer, there's someone who's good at... Yeah, talents get revealed. Exactly. Yeah. But there's no place that can groom that talent, mm-hmm. that can secure a space for it. People will already say, when you finish high school, go study art. So it's not something that they start encouraging you from an early stage. Absolutely. It's something that they tell you later on in life. It, it's something that you might consider doing because you're good at it as mm-hmm. well. So that was part of my upbringing, was that I did all other things that every child will do, especially if you're coming from an urban, coming from a rural environment as well. So it has always been part of me, but it was, it was never something that I looked at it and thought that it will make me an important member of my community. Yes. Um, but I want to talk about this, uh, this African travel or what your travels, how they shaped you, because you say that this work is inspired by your travels on this continent. Yes. But so... Uh, what is in your collection of experiences on this continent? Where we, you've been, the smells, just the things that have inspired you. I think one of the most um, interesting things about it is that when you travel outside the continent, a lot of times that's where people want to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, within the continent, it's almost like you're doing a soul searching. Because all the countries that I visited, it was almost that I get to see the reflection of me, that I'm going to see it every day as well. Which then, what it means to be an African, you, you start to understand it when you start traveling outside your own borders, but within the same continent. Yeah. Um, our history is still primarily the same everywhere you go. Like Africans have always been, or they always play themselves as victims. And you, 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 you also realize those things later on. You don't, as a child, you don't see any of those things. You are full of dreams. You're full of hopes. You're full of, this is what I see. This is what I've witnessed and experienced when I travel to other African countries as well. Is that the, our foundation and the reason why is later on, I, like that was just for me, my personal our foundation often is foreign than it was supposed to be. It was supposed to make us realize that what are opportunities that can make you even be someone who's inspired by environment. So yeah. from an early age, your environment is there, but it's not there to inspire you to become a better. That's one thing that I always sort of um, pick up everywhere I go. I'm like, but we, we have a unique culture that we can identify it among ourselves, but to put it into music, movies, art, and all of those things, 
It's like it becomes even a difficult translation for you to move, to mm-hmm. translate it. And that's one of the things that I, in my work, I think, because the interesting thing about art, art doesn't have color, it doesn't have race, it doesn't have... Um, but at the same time, you reflect who you are more than anything else. I, I had to take pride of who I am. And the first place for me to take pride of who I am was through my work that I was doing. I want to challenge you on a couple of things that you've just said. Yes. Um, and you say Africans cast themselves as victims. Is it also not how we are cast as well? And then us also going along with that depiction, because your work, as I was mentioning, The Art of Optimism, being yeah. on the cover of Time Magazine, was truly about how joyous and how whole the children that you, that you draw, that you paint are. They're not destitute. No. Even if there is poverty, there isn't a sense of depravity, which is a, a, a great casting of the African experience or the African child. Um, it is, it's always very interesting because a, a lot of time you only realize that you're poor only later on when yeah, the next yeah. person takes you to tell you, right? Yeah. Um, the environment where I grew up, like, there were a lot of things. They were not always negative things. Hmm. Um, the language, that was also something that... If I'm going to portray you in a foreign language, it's going to be difficult for you to connect to what I'm actually doing as well. Yeah. It was entirely up to me as an African to ask myself those questions. That within this community, what do I see? Mm. What are the hopes that I want? If you see joy in my work, it's because of it was inspired by my environment. I've seen that joy. It's not something that I hope or wish to see. And the other thing was also, when you look at our history, is that every now and then it's like it's been rectified. It's like what you know, you wake up, someone gives you. As an artist, I observe what is around me. And if I'm not able to articulate it as truthfully as it's supposed to be, no one will ever be able to connect with what I was actually doing as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also one other thing that I, I used to find it challenging because you get into an industry, which is the art industry as a whole, you look at the people who were the main players in that industry that were celebrated which most of them were, you find that there were a lot of African artists, but the language that they will speak in their work was of that, of a foreign. They were not actually speaking the work that another African would look at it yeah. and see themselves in that as well. It was like almost like a homework to me as an artist to say, if my environment inspired me, how come that the work that I create doesn't do anything, nor doesn't actually speak to the people around me as well? Mm-hmm. Trust me, when you do that shift and you want to speak the language that the people around you understand, the first people to challenge you is going to be the people of the industry that you are in, which is the arts. They would even say you're commercial because you are able to create something that an ordinary person who sits on the street is able to see themselves within a frame of an artwork, Mm -hmm. which is something that when you get into that industry, it's only for a certain elite, privileged, educated. So there's sort of levels to those things. And so you it's the way that it excludes. That's exactly yeah. that as well. And I had to look around and speak the truth in my work. I had to 
find things that I believe they've made me the artist that I am. I had to look at the next generation and say, they also inspire me. And I had to look at the most amazing thing about all of those things that I'm mentioning is that in my work, I don't take, I don't reproduce images that were taken 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. I take subject of today and put them in my work. And one of, one of the most interesting thing about it is that people who connect or who speak about the work is people of the previous generation. Mm. So it reminds me when I was a child. That means we have a certain connection or something that passed through our DNA that still exists within our people that is there, that probably maybe art is the only thing that tend to remind us how unique we are. And mm -hmm. I think also that is like something where later on it's like we're running away from that, we're not proud of that culture until someone put that into a frame. And when you look at it, it's a child. They usually say you paint innocent child. Yes. I'm shocked is there. How many innocent? I mean, every child is born innocent. Yes. So, Wait, so, and that's the thing. There is a lot of politics in this. There is a lot of race in yeah. it. Because as you say, uh, black children are not necessarily always seen as innocent. Lots of studies will, will demonstrate yeah. that. How they portrayed, for instance, is not with that joy that your paintings often come with. Yeah. Right. So it's not uh, almost... People don't, some people might think that it's an innocuous image, yeah. but I find that your work in itself is a political statement because it is an outright rejection of how black children particularly are portrayed. So there is, yes, it's not race per se, but we know that that can be at the heart of the politics that drives certain aesthetics in the art space. I mean, like, for me, is when you art, politics, yeah. you take art, for me art is better than politics. Because it's mm -hmm. someone else's feelings when they're there and it was painted by someone else. And that person when they painted, they didn't paint it with the aim of trying to make someone look smaller, bigger, mightier or anything like that as well. It becomes an honest debate. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing any other person who's into art will tell you. You will like a German painter, even though you had a bad history with Hitler. So the moment when you connect with that painting has nothing to do with the history of... So art has always been... Hence you say it's better than politics. It's better than politics because it, it allows anyone to have an opinion in, in such an honest way. Bridges are built. That's exactly that as well. So Even though we don't agree. That's, that's it. But it's the feelings. Feelings... What I like about feelings is that it's a question, no matter how many times you're trying to debate, if a pain is a pain, it remains a pain. Mm. You cannot change it yeah. as well. And within, and especially if you're coming from this continent, it's almost expected that you should paint misery, you should paint. You should paint like where, where we live, we don't have hope. But when I look around, I see people who are driven, I see people who are doing things. So there is hope. Yes. I see people who are loud, I see people who dance, I see people who go and protest if they're not happy about something as well. So you see all of those things as well. Um, I think probably even the question will be, can an artist become a member of a community where he chooses that he's going to be a Christian, he's going to be a member of this political party? What always makes it difficult is that your work doesn't place you to say that I'm in EFF, I'm in ANC, I'm in 
my work communicates even far more across as well. Mm-hmm. My work challenges me as a human being not to take side to certain things, to always view things within the trans. So when I started a few years back, and when I look at how the, the art industry was in South Africa. Yes, let's go there. <laughs> it's been five years, Nelson, five years since you've had a solo exhibition yes. in South Africa, yes. right? Yeah. And this is how you come out. You come out. Okay, this, it's been five years since you were signed yes. and contracted to yes. a gallery. Yes. You've continued to produce, yes. but you have not had a solo exhibition in South Africa. Yes. And when you do come out, when you emerge, yes. you come out with the statement of yes. Oboto Project Space. Yes. What are you saying to the gatekeepers? What is your message to the art industry and the gatekeepers? The gatekeepers, they should have retired long ago. That, they sh- that, that there was no way that it could be the same generation that has lived on the image of an artist being poor, struggling. And whereas when you look at the economical part of it, it doesn't make sense of it so as well. So a painting is 250,000 rand. Yes. And when you see the price tag, you expect artists to be to live really decent, comfortable lives. And yet, that's not the reality. But also the honest truth is that within, and when we speak the truth, this is our generation that has changed the image of an artist. Yeah. Where an artist is more important than any other. I'm talking about in this continent. Europe and other continents, they've always placed an artist within a high because they truly value what the artists will actually bring in as well. Yeah. So you come to South Africa. Um, the industry that is it's probably one of the biggest industries that contributes to heritage and culture. Mm. Mm. The biggest on this continent, one of the most vibrant on this yeah. continent. Yeah. But who's the driving force of it? Who's on the forefront of it? We have old artists that we can, we have a long list of, but does the heritage of those artists still belong to the people that are supposed to belong to? It still leaves a question mark. I had that's to. Sore. That's very sore. It is sore, but at the same time, you always have to ask yourself, like. But it can't. It can't always repeat itself. Yes. And we have artists that we truly respect, and admire. and those those artists have done a lot. But are they free? Most of them. Are they able to advise the next generation of artists to still continue? Because apart, apart from the economical side of it, art still reflects as part of our heritage. Yes. Art yes. still reflects as part of our identity more than anything else. Art still reflects as probably one of, the most, one of our most powerful currency, if you think about it. But do we truly believe that it can still be part of one of the things that we looked at and we value and we believe that it contributes a lot into our country. It can be like that, but the question of do artists have that freedom to be as free as they wish or do they still employ it? A lot of artists are employed. Mm. They, 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 they don't do this full time. Even if they do it full time, they're employed. Even if they do it full time right. in their own rights, right. they're employed. So, I think the question is that how many artists are self-employed? Like, we need to ask that question. And the more artists are self-employed, the more we know that they will be able to create jobs for other people. 
So what is the model then? What is the new model? Because you're challenging the old model that you say is run by people who should have retired ages ago. I think, the, the, so going back to the old model, maybe I was never a scholar from that, so I didn't follow the rules. I could not follow the, the rules of <laughs> schools that, you know. And, and maybe it's like that because of, in every industry that you get in, you find there's a culture that is there. Yeah. And you have to make a choice that you want to follow culture or not. One of the most interesting things about it is that when we talk about the politics in art, here's the thing about artists that has always been a question for me as an artist. Artists are activists. They fight for other things, but they don't fight for their own industry. Hmm. And it's probably one of the most craziest things because artists have a strong voice you know, in anything that you can think of, in any change that is happening within society and anything. They are there on the forefront. Um, was there a need to change? Of course there is a need to change. I think a lot of time when people talk about change is that you always have to wait for someone to volunteer to say, I'm going to take the lead and be part of the chat, that, uh, that change as well. When I did, decided to go independent, there's, there were a lot of people, including the people that I respected, that came to me and said, what you're doing is impossible. Is a career suicide. They yeah. kind of say, yeah. this is the end of you. Yeah. But the, the mistake that they did was that you can't come to me and talk to me about that I did something wrong, that you never contributed anything to me. You can't come to me in the last minute to tell me that everything that I've built, when I'm on the last floor, that when I started the foundation, you were not there. Yeah. So that, that also taught me not to share my plans in the industry when I got in. I knew something had to be changed. Mm -hmm. It's the conversation that we have with artists around the table. You, you list on the things that you're not happy with. When you get up, you're the only person who's got that list. Everyone else go back to their corners and it's still normal as well. Right, you are left holding with your hand up, yes. up front, yes. and everybody who said they would come with you to this war has yeah. decided to go home and do what they've been doing all like just the norm. So it's, there's a lot of artists who throw stone and hide their hands. There's only few who would actually raise their hands and say that I've thrown the stone. I am part of the new generation of South Africa. There was no way that I would still find myself within the old model of South Africa. Yeah. So what's the new model? Does it cut out the middleman? Is that artists have to be responsible for their own work. Mm -hmm. that everything that the artists are doing... I mean, in music, you have artists that are fighting for their masters. Absolutely. I think in, in visual arts, it's quite simple. Yeah. You are the manufacturer of your work. You're the decider of how your work you want to be. Mm. But you're not a person who decides the value of your work. It's, it's, it's always been, I think, a question of the whole, entire, the whole entire continent. If you look at the art industry, if you look at how much the art industry is bringing and you have to ask yourself a question. If the art industry is worth billions, how come we don't have one single billionaire artist? So mm. who is responsible for the economical part of it as well? Mm. But that's the part where you would see that they'll usually say artists, you can't talk about pricing about your work. You can't be talking about the finance of your work. You can't be talking about the business of your work as well. Um, this is, we've seen it happening even in sports where... Yeah. 
a talented individual, unfortunately, for some reason, people always say, if you're talented, you cannot be smart enough or intelligent enough to look after your legacy as it is as well. And mm. I was blessed enough to have generation of of different minds that have agreed and to support me in my journey. That I had to move away from friends in the arts to make friends into places where I know that whatever conversation we're gonna share, it will be to build. Yeah. We'll talk about some of these friends and the work that you're doing yeah. with these friends yeah. in a little bit, but I, I wanna stay with this a little bit longer. Yes. Um, so the model has changed. You're saying the artists should be responsible for their own work, for their own legacy. You've been on Instagram quite prolifically sharing your work, yeah. which is something that's been, you know, was taboo before that, that work should be seen at galleries, should be seen at exhibitions under the auspices of someone managing that exercise, your access to the audience. Yeah. And you are saying to the audience, here I am, this is what... I, that's how I interact with your page, at least, that this is what I've been doing the past couple of days. Take a look at this masterpiece. Yeah. What is the gallery then to you? What has the gallery become in light of that and in 2020? Um, I think a few years back, uh, um, we start with museums mm, mm. before you can even get to galleries. Yes, yes. If you do a history of art, the first thing that they introduce you to is museum before they can introduce you to to the galleries before they can introduce you to the art dealers as well. Um, let's look at um, the importance of visual art in, in this whole entire continent. You realize that there is not a lot of presence of visual art within the conversation of people. When we say people, we're talking about ordinary people. Yeah. Yeah, that if you see your child talented, you encourage them. And you see future in that, in that talent. But a lot of people don't, especially with the visual arts, because there's been one industry that's always been uh, treated in such a snobbish way. Um, and it's, it was one of the funniest things. I always say the visual arts is the only probably industry in the world where a wealthy man and a poor man can have an honest um, conversation. An artist is a poor man, a wealthy man who is mm. usually a collector, mm. which they'll give each other a mutual, a mutual respect. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's always, and I think a lot of people would even agree when saying that how art was introduced to Africans has always been spiritual from music um, to a lot of things. They've always been like that. But times change as yeah. well. I think over time, we started to exchange, we travel, we get exposed to other cultures and all of that as well. I think you can always ask yourself, like, what's the role of a visual art today for a lot of Africans? It's become more and more important because we started to realize that we are probably the generation that has been given a chance to curate or to be the authors of our own history. 
and as a as an artist who I mean I started sort of profiling my work, I started sharing my work online during MySpace, just before Facebook. Wow. That was a while, like before anything else. Mm. Uh, when Facebook came in, it was the same thing. It was like an opportunity because you have galleries and museums. So as an artist, it'll say to you, in order for you to believe that you've made it, your work has to get into museums. But who goes and visits those museums? Mm. Often you don't ask because this is something that someone comes and tells you. They see what you do. You're like, And then when you start reading about art, you realize that the only thing that highlights their career is when they're in museums and when they... But any of those things that I'm sharing with you is that no one tells you that you're going to create work. A gentleman is going to come probably wearing a nice scarf, you know, design shoes. He's going to tell you that um, what you're doing is important. He's going to take it. Give you validation. That's exactly that. Yes. That's when you start. Mm. Um, so it, you've got gatekeepers. You've got... So all of these things, like a process that you actually go through. This is something that you don't... You are... You are it's new to you. It doesn't matter. I mean, even if you are a graduate from university, because these things... It always comes that way. You always think, okay, because if I'm not a graduate from university, I don't know the rules. Then you sit down next to an artist who's a graduate who's got a degree. It's the same problem that you guys are actually experiencing that as soon as you leave the institution, you've, you, you have to sign up to another institution that you need to get into as well. Mm. Um, also, along the way, you're also dealing with people who are saying, I'm not going to collect the work of an artist who has passed on. This is a, like a younger generation of today that says, I'd rather buy a work of an artist that is still alive than to actually buy a work of an artist that is dead. Yeah. Um, it's not even the artist only who changed how the industry was. It was also... The audience. The yeah. audience who started to be more interested in what, what was going on. Is the audience that started going to galleries and ask questions to the galleries as well. The gatekeepers, they were too selfish that they didn't really think that there was going to be an age where they're going to be exposed. And that age comes in because what they do, they select what they believe you will like. Then at the time, at the same time, you have a relationship with the artist. You've seen better work in the artist studio. So galleries and the machinery package the artist in the way they think the artist should be seen and not in the way that the artist perhaps wants to or should or must be seen. And you're removing that. You are showing us the way you want to be seen. And also, I mean, at the same time, you also become a generation that say, I'm I'm sick and tired of seeing works that fetches ridiculous amount of, but the artist is not even alive. So, if art is that important to culture, to heritage, to all of that, why don't we value it and putting it in that scale that it should be valued on that level? Why should the very same artist that lives around us, they have to live like what they are contributing to the society is not important. And you. So, but the problem is that those gatekeepers, the system, they've let it be like that for the longest time. That even when change was coming, 
it was never a threat to them. They thought it will never happen. I mean, I remember one time, one gallery owner is like, I'm giving you five years. After five years, because you're selling direct from your studio, you won't exist. But the mistake that he made at that time was that you become the people's choice, it's not you. So because of we live in a time where you have Instagram, you have Twitter, you have Facebook, you have... So if anything has been celebrated, mm-hmm. it's been blown out of proportion. Mm. And if you're... My question, I always say that if I created something that is great, are you saying that an ordinary person should never feel the rise to comment on it because it's great that you always feel that it's only certain elite individuals who have the right to talk or comment on art, that someone who has no knowledge or background, if they see something that they like, they should never have a say. And for me, I think that's where Instagram was actually more important because it allowed any other person to comment. Yes. And that was the part where most people didn't understand. They thought I was using my Instagram to sell work. I, was, I will never do that because I come from a continent where we don't, we're not exposed to museums. So as an artist, I'm also, I also have a mission to introduce my work to the people. It's, it's interesting because in the beginning of my career, most people who were supporting my work were white people. And some of them will tell you, this is not a racist statement. Yeah. Black people don't buy art. When they make that statement, you live with black people. Everything that you do, every portrait that I put in my work is black people. Yeah. So it now hit you back to say, if I see beauty around the people that I live with, whose mission it is for me to educate and introduce them to that as well. It then also hit you back to say, maybe it's time I have a conversation with them. Let me. Sh-. But when they see your work, they comment on it then that's when you realize or like, there is something that is sort of doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. The gallery structure has always been intimidating to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it has never allowed an ordinary, if you walk in and you don't speak the language, you're already intimidated. And I think because of the way art has always been or the artists that are known, the moment when art is known, their work is too expensive. So it has made everyone to feel, why should I go and visit a gallery? Whereas when I get there, every piece is going to be out of my price range. Yeah. Um, when I started, I think, selling my work for 250. Uh, today, I don't even know if you will be able to find the work on the price. But Really? For a person who bought it in the beginning, they bought it not because of they were investing. Mm-hmm. They bought it because maybe they were supporting me or maybe they loved. But most people who collected my work early, they loved the work. Yeah. Most people who collect my work early, they were middle class. Um, and those were quite interesting because those are the people that gives you drive. Those are the people that yeah. give you an honest feedback. But those people prepare you to the gatekeepers. Hmm. Because as your prices go up, it open up to what they call them collectors. Um, I didn't start my career with art community. I started my career with a normal community of people. Yes. So what are you hoping this will do? Do you believe that it can bring about meaningful transformation 
of the art world and the art business. And I'll tell you why, because in the past, the lack of transformation was also attributed to there not being enough black scholars, black artists, black historians, black curators, other interlocutors in, in this chain. You know, that, that was, that, that's why you will always find your work being brokered by the same people or the same people working within that space. Are you hoping that this will lead? And now we don't have that excuse anymore, by the way. We've got PhDs um, coming out of our tertiary institutions of young black people who yeah. are now historians, who are curators and so on. So at every level, there has been change, but we're not seeing it translating in the way that brings about or that, that, that uh, shows the transformation. Um, I would say there's change. Um, I've met so many young people who have collected my work. So yeah. I am in this position because a lot of young people started showing interest in art. Hope is gone. We've, we've done that, I think, in the early 2000. Mm. I think um, today, I think it's one of probably the most proudest thing you could ever say. When you look around, you see how many young people that are, like, that are collecting young artists, which is yeah. something that has never happened before. Today, you have a lot of young artists that are starting to see the benefit in the arts. Today, you see young, young people who fully committed to say, I'm doing this because it is actually give them assurance that they will. Today, art is coming in as a security. Mm. Um, because I am that generation that actually has seen it. Today, I'm the generation of artists that live fully on this because of the support that you're getting from your peers as well. Today, we're looking at the history of art being different from the olden days. Today, you look at African art being dominated in the world because Africans have invested in African art and not just only by right. it, but their involvement in it as well. Um, this show, Moto Boto Bato, is simply say, our time is here. This is our renaissance time. It's a time when we no longer have excuses of, this is not a, like a time where you can talk about colony and all of those things. Mm -hmm. they, they were there to remind us, not to forget, but they were there to also let us know what are we doing? What excuses are we going to give as generation of today? And that's the reason why my journey was like that. So that I, I had to like, get up and say, I'm the generation of today. I'm a generation of Africans today, a generation of Africans that believe that there's more multiple opportunities that are there, that the next generation should never ever need any excuses. We are the generation that give wealth the same way as hip-hop generation is give wealth mm. to a lot of young African-American. Mm. Because it was needed that you need to have someone that is close to you as a point of reference in order for you to do something else. Today I can get up anywhere else I go in the world that I'm an African and I'm an artist. Today I can get up and say, don't place my work as an African, but place my work as part of art that is there to contribute and to also be part of the change that is happening in the world. Yes. I am generation of artists that are here to say, write our history correctly. You know, don't add things that... So... And this is today. Um, 
we own spaces. Um, we are able to say, if I work with any museum, galleries, I don't like your contract, I can change this. Some these terms, yeah. We needed to get to that point. Mm. But to get to that point, it had to take not just only you as an artist, it, it has to take a, a, a community of different people who showed interest. The other thing that also, that I'm grateful that I actually have that support, it is that we have the tendency of not looking after our stars. We wait for them to do any mistake, we bury them. We forget that those stars are there also to endorse the next generations of stars as well. Yeah. It's not about that individual only. They, their existence and their work that they did is more important for us to make sure that we protect it as well. So let's talk about Moto Moto Bat. Yes. Um, it is the name, it is in the name of the space, Moto Project Space. Yes. That is the title of your exhibition. Now, anybody who speaks the Soto, as in with Sepedi, Setswana, Southern Soto, uh, will know what Moto is, equivalent to Ubuntu. Yeah. It's this latent consciousness um, that one's own sense of humanity is deeply rooted in the humanity of others. Yeah. You've touched on it a little bit. Yeah. I would, listening to how you feel and how you are emerging, I would have thought you would have, this would have been the liberation of the artists, <laughs> you know? But instead, you've come with a different tone altogether. Yeah. Moto, moto, bato. Yes. What is the vision? Africans have always had the spirit of humanity. Yeah. It's what led into us. It's what caused colony and all of the other things. We're very humble mm. with a lot of things. Um, and it's something that you, you, everywhere you go, you don't greet another Africans. The first thing that they... Let's swap your mic. Let's swap your mic as we outline the vision for this new exhibition. It starts on Saturday, by the way. It starts on Saturday. Until January 2021, yeah. I think um, the first thing, especially with um, the house where I was raised, is to respect others. Yeah. Um, and the body of work and what has made me the artist I am. It was because of the spirit of humanity more than any other things as well. With all the challenges that we have, it still goes back to us as humans as well. And even in my work, no matter how political I can be, no matter how spiritual I can be, it still goes back to me as a human. For me to be complete, it takes other humans to complete me. No man is an island. And we had challenges, we had COVID, but we're still humans. Mm. And I think what truly inspires me is other humans who are being human. And I think that is why we also started that project space, so that we're not claiming it, we're just saying, mm. Maybe the spirit of humanity is what we need. And with that spirit, we will be able to fight or overcome a lot of things. But to pay you, you 
put, you put us first. And it's always been probably the highlight in my work. I've, I've, I've always, even when I started doing the giant portrait of case, it was a simple thing, I'm human. So if you look at me as human, a lot of things I think you'll be considered first before you can even... Mm. We fight, we, mm. we face a lot of things that has to do with racism, and I think the only thing that can lead into people accepting us is when we also start accepting ourselves. And that is when I started realizing that amongst ourselves, there's one spirit that has always inspired me to pick a pencil and draw. The spirit of humanity that I've always seen amongst black people. And you want to bring, and you bring it to life. I've always highlighted it in my work. Yeah. And having to have the privilege of finding a space like that, and that space that will allow the whole entire, because what the project space is not only, the vision is not only within the southern part. Mm. No. It's, it's, it's to also invite other creatives within the continent. Is so what, is it a space of residency? Is it a space of exhibition? Is it a space of collaboration? What are some of the things that you envisage would be happening within its walls? With, with that space, we're looking at multiple... I mean, you're looking at culture as a whole around creativity. Ah. Um, from theater, music, photography... Fashion. Fashion. I mean, if you were to look at a lot of young people today, they are multiple. They don't say I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. They will say to you, I do multiple things mm -hmm. as well. And when you create the project space, I also have to, or we have to think about who are the key players that are going to be part of that space as well. And I mean, we first launched Boto Project Space um, last year when I, I had a solo show in Paris. It was during the, the art fair, also known as Africa. That's when you sold out every single piece. That's, yeah. <laughs> so, this is the second, and I mean, the first show that we did was in, in, in France. This is the second show that we do within the continent. Mm -hmm. Part of that was to also look at what are the connection what are the relationships between creatives within the continent? What are they doing? Because what most people don't realize is that within the continent, you're an individual. When you leave the continent, you represent the whole entire continent. Yes, yes, yes. And I think one of the biggest challenges that you always find is that most of our great artists, they are forced to migrate because they don't believe that mm. the continent offers or will give them the foundation that will allow them to be recognized outside the borders of South Africa as well. As an, as an artist who had the blessings enough that my work was able to grow beyond my borders, yeah. I think it's something that you also want others to experience. And this is what, that springboard where that can happen. Where you, you are, yeah. Do you think that then serves as the driver of, you know, creativity, of 
the culture on this continent, that as these different disciplines collide, you will all be stretched. Your creativity will be that much more enhanced. Because I think a lot of time we... I think we always believe that in order for me to be international, I have to go and do an exhibition in America. In order for me to be accepted between global spaces that I have to find well-known spaces outside my own. Um, and as an, as an artist who has done a lot of residencies outside the continent yeah. and still come back home and I, I realize that I have to share that with others. And mm -hmm. the only way to share them with it, and it's always, because when you get to a certain point and your work become celebrated in that nature, everyone comes to you because they believe that if I get endorsed by you, then I'll, I'll make it if I... And I think that's one of the reasons why we, we look at Water Project Space and say, we'll probably offer equal opportunities to any creative that wants to work with us as well. Sure. Um, I don't have connections. That's what I always say to a lot of young Like your work, even if I introduce your work to 100 people, depends if you know, they feel connected to the work or not. Sure. But I believe that everyone should have a fair share of their own journey without really having to feel that mm. if, if I get endorsed by you, and, and we get that a lot, where people will always think if, if I do collaboration with you, people will know. And, but project space always is spaces where even if I'm not there, it will offer you the same opportunities as, as, as I am. And that is why when we launched it in South Africa, I said, let me be the first person to endorse it. Okay. And so how does this fit into FAM, FAM Academy, which you established jointly with Latumangogolo of Makosa and uh, Nati Air? It's the same thing. We, we went out, we saw what others were doing in the world. We came back. And the only thing that was stuck in our head is like, this is one thing that we want others to also experience. Mm -hmm. It goes back to how can we decolonize our education as the reason why FEM was actually formed. Okay. FEM was formed simply because of, if you look at our higher education, I mean, you can start with VATS, you can go to TUT, you can, do, you can, do, you can go to um, UCT and all of You can even look at the history of them for the last 20 years or how many creatives have they really truly produced that those creatives today, they are actually serving as an example to the next generation. Mm -hmm. That those creatives today, when you go to them and you ask them, um, what have you contributed in your 20 years? Sure. I, I can honestly get up and say this is what I've actually contributed in my last 20 years of the industry. And that is why I'm a member at FAM. That is why we have bought to break. For me, that's, that was, there was no way that I'm going to measure my success by driving a nice car or living in a nice house. That was not going to be able to, to define success to me, especially yeah. with, within the industry that we know that it has made a lot of black parents not to feel free to encourage their kids to go on with their talent. We needed to sort of go back and say, let, let us redefine it. So that 
is creating spaces that even when we're not there, those spaces will always serve as a typical example to the next child who wants to be an artist as well. Uh, so the space is there. Your exhibition starts on this Saturday. Yes. Um, and now you're going to be showing us, and I feel like over the past couple of months, you've been showing us the range of your, of your skill because yeah. you were largely using oil um, and charcoal before. Yeah. But now we're seeing you doing portraits and figures in yeah. watercolor. Yeah. You are largely self-trained. You yes. did study printmaking at uh, Artist Proof Studios. Correct. And then you had that residency in Italy. Yeah. How, what's been this evolution? Like, where do the watercolors come from? You know, what's uh, happening with the change in medium and style? Growth. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was, there, was, there was a time in South Africa where we had township movement. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the during the the Karalsikoto, the during Sitlalis. Watercolor is probably one of the mediums that has made me fall in love um, with South African art. Mm. Um, the generation of George Pembers, but none within our 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 generation has actually taken that further. Right. Um, the thing is with academia that I've always had problem with is that it doesn't allow me to express myself fully. It always discriminated against the people that I truly respected in mm-hmm. the arts. Mm-hmm. And I thought more than anything else that part of one of the, the things that I've inherited, I have to carry it on as an artist, was to inherit some of the techniques from the old form, from yes. our old masters. And watercolor was one of the mediums that I've always, always explored, but I've kept it on the side for the longest time. Really? I was waiting for the right moment for me to present that as well. And also at the same time, I think everyone can agree that there was a time when almost every young artist was just doing a portrait of a child putting glasses on. I did want to talk about that. Let's go there. No, let's go there. Let's go there. Because part of you becoming as well-known as you are now has precipitated mimicry. And I'm trying to use my words quite carefully. I don't want to say copycats, but there's been a lot of mimicry. Do you take that as a compliment, a testament or a statement of your influence? Or does it really grind your tits? It's charming. It's charming. (laughs) <laughs> it's a compliment. Come on, Nelson, uh, come on. <laughs> it, it's because when a lot of people would be like, you're the, you're the next Picasso. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be flattered by that, but I'm not. I'm glad that I was able to influence. My work was so influential enough that a lot of people will see the need that in order for them or to consider themselves really great artists is to actually uh, mimic my style. Yeah. I often say, it's okay, borrow, but always be mindful of what you're doing as well. Yes, find your own voice. Yeah. Because we live in today where you, you have internet that is information travel fast. Everything that you do, everything that is great, the next person will always think, this is the right way. So for a lot of, um, some people who are even closer 
to you. Some people even come to you for mm. advice and then tomorrow they take a picture with you. But how long do you spend on those eyes? Like, how do you get the eyes so good comes naturally. to connect? Comes naturally. <laughs> I'm saying they come to us down to that detail that how do you get the eyes to look so, to, to emote or to create emotion in someone? And also, that I think also the other thing that we must also, for, like we must also bear in mind is that also some of those artists have been Someone will say, if I can't afford to get a Makamo, so I can oh. ask another artist to actually okay. do that as well. Yeah. And some, some also believe that if Makamo sells, I'm going to do that. And if you do it, it sells. So it's, hmm. it's one of the things where even if I can wake up and try to say, you stole my style, it, used, it's, it won't change anything. The only thing that I can do is growth. I'm not in one place. So... Um, if someone is copying me, I say good luck yeah. with that as well. But art is not like an extreme sport. So um, a lot of times that's one of the other things where I'm just like, if I'm going to be bothered by those who copy me. And the funny thing about them is that they usually copy things that you post on, on Instagram. <laughs> so Therefore like, all to see. That's greatly as well. But yeah. That also has helped me to also have the confidence as an artist. Um, that I... It just keeps feeding me. I think the more you look around, is the more you also realize that you need to also look at your work. And, mm. and growth as well. I'm not changing because of the copying me. Yeah. Um, this new body of work, I'm presenting it because it's the time for me to present it. I'm not presenting it because I believe there's, if you're doing something greater, there will always be those who will come in and believe that they can probably try to do it better than you did. So copy, copycat usually is someone that try by all means to say, if you think you can do it, I can do it better than you. Hmm. So that's always the case that I've actually, how I've let you look at it. Okay. Does it offend me? Not at all. It makes me smile to know that at least once in my lifetime, I once influenced someone to do something. A testament to yep. how your, your, your language, the language that your work is known for, yes. that it'll be in the history books. But just as we're talking about academia and history, can we talk about what you're doing with Harvard? Not or, yet. Not yet. Oh, okay. Zip it then, zip it, zip it. But you spend... But, but, but... Yes. We are... There's something that we, we are putting together. And something that is going to be truly beneficial, and not to me, but to a whole lot of um, generation of, of creatives, not only in music. Um, I would just say we are establishing a unique partnership. Yeah. Um, that probably has been long awaited. And um, that when the time comes in for us to announce it, it will probably be music to, it'll be good yeah. news to everyone else. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's been always that long gap between, because you hear a lot of artists that, are, that they say that they're self-taught. There's no such a thing as self-taught, especially if you live in the world where there's people around as well. Okay. We... 
That's actually true. Correction on what I said earlier, because it suggests that you just fell out of the sky with no yes, influence, with no inputs into that, who you that, are. That's exactly that. Is that mm. along the way you end up customizing how your journey wants to be. You take time to study certain artists. They might not be in the curriculum as well, but you then realize that you find a unique way yeah. to sort of carry on with 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 your with your journey as an artist. So that is why in any of the statements that I make, I'll never say that I'm self-taught because along the way I met a lot of mentors, teachers. Mm -hmm. So you, I think problem is that later on you tend to only give yourself credit. But along the way, there's people who advise you. Sometimes someone who saw something and just passed by and say, this is not how you, you, you yeah. should sketch. Or someone will pass by and say, if you seen this artist work, if you have to think about it, that's basically like being in a, in a classroom or being like in a, in a lecture room. But You see a connection where others don't. We look at what you've created and think, oh, that's genius. But for you, it was obvious, right? Like, oh, you know, this is obvious. You connect the dots in different ways to other people. Yeah. But that also comes because by virtue of you creating, this has to go into the world. Yeah. That also comes with the level of things like doubt, yeah. worry of ridicule, rejection, and you still persist anyway. So it'll always be there. The rejection, the possibility of rejection or ridicule will always be there. Yeah. But as a creative, you persist nonetheless. Yeah. So what happens in your mind, take me into, you know, the psychology of Nelson Makamo ahead of this groundbreaking solo exhibition, for example, or any other moment in your life where your work was going to be critiqued and seen by an audience in the world? Um, I think because of one start early, that becomes something where earlier on within your small circle, people start getting exposed to what you do. Yeah. Um, people start having an opinion on what you do. Um, so that start in, it started with me early that, so the most interesting thing about it is that not everyone's going to appeal the same to your work. Not everything that you create is going to make or is going to be flattered to everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, you get to a point where you also realize that at the same time, what you're doing, it can also help others as well. It can be, it can be, a, it can be medicine to other people which then moves away from you being so feeling insecure about your work. Um, I've done, I don't know how many shows in my life. You learn to separate that from personal to realize that any comment that someone makes, it can either be something that will add value into your work and, and also be mindful that someone will discover your work now yeah. and they'll make a comment immediately. Yeah. Just to show you that um, if you're not confident in what you do, you know, like one of the most beautiful things about being a human being is that you can also be, be, be critical to yourself mm. as well. Mm. And is your growth motivated by what people are saying about that one piece that you did. It's like in music, you release the first album, you become classic, you release the second album, people are telling you that it's crap. 
then you give up, you don't actually. Yeah. The reality is that, um, bear in mind that art is also a personal taste. So not everyone who's coming in might actually have that um, one-on-one with you as well. At the end of the day, I usually say, someone will say, why didn't you add blue? I'm like, go create your own work, add blue on it. <laughs> Make things easier way as well. Yes. So for the fact that you already have allowed yourself to show your work to the people, yeah. you're open for people to actually have a conversation about your work. You see, as a conversation, not rejection, not re- it's a conversation. Whatever that conversation, the shape, that conversation can take any shape, but it's more of a conversation from your perspective. And also bear in mind that people will always give you respect for the fact that you've allowed yourself to show that work. Absolutely. It's never been anything where you feel, if it's a rejection, and just show them that you also you go back again and again and again. Mm. So earlier I was talking about uh, visited you in your studio in downtown Joburg. Yes. And I think you said you'd been there, was it two, three days or four days straight or something like that. Yes. But you'd been there days on end, immersed, isolated, on your own, working. Yes. What does that time mean? Just take me through the Um, need for that very deep, immersed isolation that you tend to go through in periods of working. I think one, one of, one of the, the, the advantages was for me to do what I love and to do it uh, full-time. Yeah. Um, a lot of time people be like, you spend a lot of time in the studio. Um, that space, it helped me with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, mentally, I don't find myself depressed. Being there for three or four days is probably one of the most amusing thing or most inspiring thing. Um, we work differently as artists. Yeah. Um, some artists, before they start working on a painting, they have to do research, compile, blah, blah. I find myself as one of those artists who just work spontaneously. And as in work, when I said work, my Work ethic is insane. You know, a lot like it's. But this is a drive that I've always had. Mm-hmm. Um, there's seasons where you feel like how often you'll have shows, someone will have one theme that they will focus on. Maybe they'll focus on religious and They'll have to look at how everyone who's into faith, church, and all of that, how it has become a norm for me to spend a lot of time in the studio with the work. Mm. Um, I don't have a certain specific formula on how I work. And I think also, even when I share talks with other young artists, I will never say to them, work the way I work. Yeah. Um, I think being a creative, it's always a question of, uh, you also have to have a, a balance in terms of your spirituality as well. Hmm. Um, you can, how do I work? Do I work in a happy mood? Do I work in a, do I work under pressure? Do I work when I'm sad? Because those usually, um, yeah. someone will look at your pieces like, wow, what a sad piece. 
probably where you were in a happy mood when you created that work <laughs> as well. So, my thing I've always said is that I think the day when I signed the lease that I wanted to be an artist was for me to explore everything that is to do with that. And to find things that will make it easy for me to define myself. So studio time is probably one thing that I would say it sort of summarized me as an artist. I spent more time in the studio than anywhere, anywhere else. else. Yeah. yeah. So it's very sacred then. It's, um, it's amazing because I, for years I thought that I would find a point in time where I can explain or I can describe why I enjoy being in the studio so much. I think to add on there was that, you know, when, when you have an opportunity to write a piece and to introduce a piece of your history, yeah. you'll always find yourself overly committed to it because of the excitement of the things that you want to share. And that's me as an artist. I've always said that every opportunity that I get to get out and to interact every time when I come back to the studio, I have a lot to share. So that's why... Um, and it's a commitment that I made myself. It's not a commitment where someone will say we have a deadline. We have, that's why I don't also do well with commissions as well. But a part of that was that I find myself in a position where I'm like, within the history, I find myself as an individual who's part of a group that is there to write or to make a statement. Mm. And what better way to live a life than to live a life in a position where you're doing something that truly, truly drives you to be the human that you are. Yeah. And without doubt, I was like, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a great artist. And this is something that I made myself to say, I wanted to be great. And in order for me to be great, I have to commit. Where do you feel most alive? In my studio. When you're working? When I'm working. Um, it's a, is it like prayer? It's almost like it's, 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 it's a feeling that no matter how many times you're in it, you, you can never find words to actually express. I think one of the most powerful things also, you realize that what you create, it helps others. While you're thinking this is a, such a bad idea, someone will write something to you to make you realize that um, you have an opportunity to heal others through what you do. And what do you do when you have that opportunity to heal others through what you do? Are you going to continue to go in and give them medicine or are you going to deprive them from it as well? Mm. Does it scare you sometimes? It, it always scares you. <laughs> if you. If you are able to... Most of my work, they're not planned. That's also another thing as well. And what always comes out of it is almost... It shows us how connected we are as people. And I think a lot of times people will say, I'm going to send you a portrait of mine, please paint. A lot of portraits that I paint, I choose to paint those portraits. It's not portraits that I would say, oh, send me a pic, let me see what I can actually do with it mm. as well. Mm. But also what is so amazing about it as well is that sometimes you work on a piece and then three, four years later, someone will send you their pic and they'll combine it and it will probably 
the statement will be the same, same mood. It's like it's you will hard keep to explain. It. That's exactly yeah, that as why well. That happens. It ha- it is hard to explain that you wake up and you find that the rest of the world feels so connected to what you do. <laughs> it's it's beautiful to like start realizing that and actually taking that and accepting that as well. But that also has helped me to also accept each and everything that I create in my work and the statement that I want to make in my work as well. To realize that it's truly amazing when you're sitting there on the forefront and you are actually writing and documenting the history of you and the people that are around you. That you know that there will be a chapter in a book someday that a child will read and you'll be the contributor in that, cha- in that chapter as well. So, in the beginning, art was my... It was the only thing that used to put bread on the table for me until later when I realized that it was not even, it was not even about that. It was actually far more bigger than just making me buy nice things. And no, it was far more than economical support that I actually... Um, it's not like I'm going to the office. It's me um, answering the call and having to take a stand. And I'm here for what I was meant to come in to do. Um, and the most exciting thing is also be part of the bigger change. And also to show others what's possible without having to hold back. Challenges are there as as a human being, you'll always have challenges. It's, it's not something that, you know, whenever we complain, you always hope you can hear something new, but it's the same thing we all go through as, as that as well. So for me, my work, I think more than anything else, and for all those years that I've always done what I've done, until one day you take a walk, you look around and you realize that um, your purpose is to document this period and to document it as honest as you can. Mm-hmm. And um, my intro was from a youth perspective. It was not for me to say the rest of my life I'll be focusing on those youth. They're growing up. To everyone who live in this time, when they walk into that show, they'll understand why I captured it and why I also had to be that title and why the show had to happen now. And with all the global recognition that one has got, when you come back home, you still feel so proud to present that work. So out of all the places that I've done shows, this is one show that is probably more personal than any other show that I could ever present. Mm. And here you are, living your ancestors' wildest dreams, not just your biological ancestors, yeah. but your art ancestors yeah. as well. Yeah. The liberation of an artist, yeah. that's not how I'm dubbing it. <laughs> <laughs>